Hey everyone, technically you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was June 21st, 1893. The Ferris wheel, designed and built by engineer George Washington Gale Ferris Jr., was unveiled to the public at the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago. Its run at the exposition was successful, and though Ferris was not the first to create a huge wheel as an amusement ride, his name has become synonymous with the attraction. The origin of pleasure wheels, as amusement wheels were once known, is unclear. They could have been inspired by ancient water wheels, or they could have originated in Eastern Europe or the Middle East. In a 1620 diary entry by Peter Mundy, the English traveler describes a type of pleasure wheel in present-day Bulgaria. Early fairs had rides similar to the pleasure wheel that weren't quite a wheel, but where passengers would travel around a horizontal axis. There were swings, roundabouts, and ups and downs that were precursors to the Ferris wheel. And in the United States in the 1800s, pleasure wheels were already entertaining fairgoers. A carpenter named William Summers built an observation roundabout that debuted in 1891. And from there, his company went on to build more wheels in New Jersey and New York. But it was at the World's Columbian Exposition where Ferris's wheel made its big debut. The exposition, also known as the Chicago World's Fair, was organized to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival in the Americas. The exposition's director of works, Daniel Burnham, was interested in displaying a feat of engineering that would rival the Eiffel Tower, which was unveiled at the Paris Exposition in 1889. But a bigger tower would not do. It had to be something original, daring, and unique. George Ferris answered the call. At the time, Ferris was a senior partner in a firm that specialized in building steel bridges. He had attended the California Military Academy and got his engineering degree from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in 1881. Ferris had spent many years building tunnels, railroads, trestles, and bridges. He helped promote the story that he came up with the design for the Ferris wheel while at dinner with friends one night. But in reality, there had been many proposals for a will, including one by H.W. Fowler and the aforementioned William Summers. In fact, the Garden City Observation Wheel Company applied for a concession to build a Summers wheel on exposition grounds around the same time Ferris did. Summers' request to build a wheel there was denied, so his company built a wheel outside the exposition grounds. Later, the Garden City Observation Wheel Company sued the Ferris Wheel Company for patent infringement, but the Ferris Wheel Company won the suit. Anyway, when Ferris went to the exposition's Ways and Means Committee with his idea for a giant wheel, his idea was dismissed as ridiculous or impossible. But in late 1892, the fair granted his concession to construct the wheel on the midway. By the time the exposition opened on May 1, 1893, the wheel was not yet complete. On June 9th, the wheel went for a test run without cars, 
In the following days, cars were hung and loading platforms were completed. Local press members were invited for a trial trip on the wheel. And on June 21st, after speeches from Ferris and other notable people, the wheel began turning to music and much fanfare. The wheel weighed more than 2 million pounds and was 250 feet in diameter. It had 36 passenger cars, and it could carry 2,160 people. An employee was stationed in each car as passengers rode. The ride was two revolutions and 20 minutes long. The wheel was lit by thousands of incandescent light bulbs. The Ferris wheel ran until November of that year. By this time, more than 1.4 million people had paid 50 cents to ride the wheel, adding up to more than $700,000 in gross earnings. In 1894, the Ferris wheel was dismantled, and the year after that, it was reconstructed at a new site. But it failed to prove as successful as before. When George Ferris died of typhoid fever in 1896, he had spent years in litigation over the Ferris wheel profits and was bankrupt. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If there's something that I missed in an episode, you can share it with everybody else on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at T-D-I-H-C podcast. But if you haven't gotten your feel of history yet, then you can listen to a new show I host called Unpopular. You already know what Unpopular is about. Just go listen to it. (laughs) Thanks, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Hello, y'all. It's Eves, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a podcast that flips through the book of history and rips out a page every single day. The day was June 21st, 1905. French philosopher and writer Jean-Paul Sartre was born. He was a major figure in 20th century French philosophy and one of the most well-known intellectuals in the country. Sartre studied psychology, sociology, and the history of philosophy in Paris. While he was at the École Normale, he formed a relationship with Simone de Beauvoir, who would also go on to become a noted philosopher and writer. He spent some time in the French army during World War II and was even taken as a prisoner of war, but he was soon released and returned to Paris. Sartre read Edmund Husserl and Martin Heidegger, studying their phenomenological philosophy. Phenomenology is the philosophical study of the structures of consciousness as experienced from the first-person point of view. Sartre took part in the resistance movement and wrote for underground newspapers. But in 1943, he wrote the first major philosophical work of his career, Being and Nothingness, an essay on phenomenological ontology. In the book, Sartre deals with topics like consciousness, free will, and perception. The book gained popularity after the war and garnered Sartre recognition. There's been debate over Simone de Beauvoir's influence on the book and later developments in Sartre's thought. After the war, Sartre also published novels and articles on literature and politics. Before, Sartre had not been deeply interested or involved in politics, but he eventually became more politicized, speaking out on issues like France's presence in Southeast Asia. 
Over the course of his career, he also co-founded the journal Le Temps Moderne, and he wrote plays, biographies, and an autobiography. He also served as a philosophy professor in universities, and he developed a role as a public intellectual. That said, he began to resent his inevitable acceptance by the bourgeoisie. He often questioned his previously held attitudes and engaged in debate with his earlier works. Sartre embraced communism, but he was never a member of the French Communist Party. He also made clear his opposition to Western capitalism and the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, a military alliance between North American and European countries. Sartre continued to write throughout his entire life, building a body of work impossible to condense in any meaningful way. But one of the works important to him was the 1960 book, Critique of Dialectical Reason, in which he expounds on ideas of existentialist Marxism. It wasn't a popular work, though. In 1964, Sartre was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature, but he refused to accept it. He said that he declined to accept official distinctions and did not want to be institutionalized. He also said that he was concerned the award would limit the impact of his writing. In a 1964 interview, Sartre said the following, I discovered abruptly that alienation, exploitation of man by man, undernourishment, relegated to the background metaphysical evil, which is a luxury. Later in life, Sartre participated in demonstrations and marches, and he was vocal about topics like housing and the Vietnam War. Sartre died in 1980. After his death, his daughter authorized the publication of several collections of his letters, like those he wrote to Simone de Beauvoir. Sartre is remembered as one of the foremost intellectual figures of the 20th century. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. You can also hit us up on social media. We're at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.